and welcome to One Woman Radio. This is Christiane Pelmas. To join the One Woman community, receive updates, and support the project, please visit us at www.onewoman.org. We are the midwives of the new aeon, and this time of transformation, this is our time. Good evening, women. Welcome back to the fire. Settle in. Notice the solid earth beneath you and the brilliant night sky above. Tonight, we meet a girl who might be you. And through her story, begin to excavate and honor our own wild and wise female. She was born joyfully, though in an urgent and unceremonious manner, as was the way then and perhaps is even more the way now. The doctor insisted, against her mother's instinct and wishes, to give her mother a little cocktail to get the show on the road. Little did he know, because how could he? The show was well on the road, and had been for many months, perhaps years, or even longer still. We don't really know about these things, do we? At least not in the way we've been taught and told it is possible to know a thing. And in fact, knowing things in ways dishonored and forgotten by the modern world is what our story is all about. She arrived on that cold winter morning into a world that would very quickly and necessarily break her heart for the joy she felt coursing through her would be met by other humans with not only love and gratitude for her, but a grief and despair that seemed simply to be a part of being human at this time. This did not make sense to her rather innocent and joyful spirit, a spirit that felt the generosity and magnificence of the world as soon as she was old enough to perceive the world as its own thing outside as well as part of herself. As if guided by a wise and benevolent grandmother, which is likely true for all of us, the first thing she learned how to do was grieve, for something had to be done with all the darkness and rage that had wound its way around the humans in her midst, like nefarious roots growing under and into the foundation of a noble and beautiful thing. Learning how to grieve meant she would wail for no apparent reason, perhaps even in the midst of laughing or playing quietly outside in the sunshine. Those around her did not understand this and felt that something surely had gone wrong with their precious, joyful little girl, a girl they had thought was a gift among the ever-growing catalog of things to worry about and brace against. She used to be so joyful, they wondered. What could possibly have gone wrong? It was impossible for them to imagine that she was just as joyful as she had always been, but now she was also grief-struck. They had no answers for this predicament because they suffered from an incapacity to acknowledge, let alone describe their own true emotions and experiences. But the little girl had already been found by the grandmothers and grandfathers, the ancient ones who are watching, who have a dear and vested interest in the outcome of this story 
this story that is yours and mine and the Earth's, that is our ever-unfolding and ever-more-dire story. And perhaps because of this, or perhaps because it was the next necessary part of her journey, the next thing our girl learned was how to be lonely in the day world, where so few humans had any idea how to truly see her. And here we are required to grasp that every blessing is partnered with a burden, every burden with a blessing. For while it was a deep burden to have to learn about loneliness at such a tender age, it was a true blessing that as she grew, she became largely invisible, even irrelevant, and perhaps also, at times, a painful and bothersome creature to the day world and the humans around her, for the way she seemed to watch and know things, for the way she seemed to watch and see things that surely should not be seen or known, things most of the grown-ups around her were busy avoiding or denying. The blessing of this unfurled its blossoms, petal after petal, for in her invisibility, she was free to go about as she wished, driven by her loneliness to find her people. Each day, she would go into the forest behind her suburban home, where she would spend hours on end pressed to the earth, the entire length of her little body, from left temple and ear down to tips of her toes, every inch gripping as if someone were trying to pry her away, holding on to the earth for dear life, holding on as if she could feel it spinning on its axis, feeling it and her with it careening through deep space, as if any less effort would allow her to be flung into the frozen darkness where surely she would no longer be able to hear what it was that so relentlessly called to her. Here she turned her ear toward the ground and in doing so turned her whole self, the entirety of her consciousness, the untamed, untethered, wild and wise, curious listening creature housed within her sturdy frame, all of her poised at attention, listening to the mother, to the true one from whom all blessings flow, listening for every pulse of the humming, buzzing, mother heart beating. This was truth to her. This was worthy of her attention. This was everything. Everything was this. And she was a daughter to the everything. She knew the woods contained her wholeness just as she had already learned that the day world required she lose essential parts of herself. The parts that were the wisest and most beautiful, the parts the world itself most needed her to possess. In the winter, she would brush the snow off the fallen elm and oak leaves, making a nest for herself. In the spring, she would gladly lie in the mud. In the heat of summer, she would lie on her belly in the cool shade, feeling the sun in dappled patterns burning the backs of her bare legs and arms. When it rained, she got wet. When it was cold, she pressed herself closer to the warm earth. Here, the eastern honeypot and winter ants scurrying around at her eye level would carry on as if her body lying in their path was of no concern. 
and while the chickadee, downy woodpecker, and nuthatch would scatter as she approached. Within moments of her quiet, voracious listening, ear to earth, would return, often landing so close she could see the pounding of their frantic hearts in their tiny feathered chests and feel the wind displaced by their beating wings. Day after day she would come to the forest to become the forest. And here, not only was she safe, she was whole. She was home. Here, she could hear her truth just as plainly as she could the truth of the blue jay, the field cricket, and the parasol mushroom. In the oldest written human language yet discovered, ancient Sumerian, the word for ear and wisdom are the same. But if someone had bothered to tell her this, if anyone in her vicinity knew this historical fact for themselves, she likely wouldn't have cared for she did not concern herself with most of what was written in books or considered fact and therefore important. All of this seemed like irrelevant information to her. She trusted the wisdom that came to her through feelings, through her body, through her heart, her laughter, and her tears. And the feeling of pressing her ear to the earth, of the buzz and hum gently vibrating her entire body, reminded her of the feeling she felt in the reoccurring dream she had, of her small hand being enveloped by the warm, dry, weathered hand of an ancient grandmother she couldn't remember ever having met in the day world. To some, our girl's devotional pilgrimages to the woods behind her house may sound strange, perhaps even weird. But listen up, and listen well, daughters. The true history of women, our kind, is filled with this sort of activity, with the listening and knowing, with the tending and being tended. For thousands of years, far longer than we have been living sequestered from each other and separated from the wild places within and around us, women were betrothed to the wild, betrothed from Old English, meaning betrothed. Accurate human history tells us of women going out to the forest, out in the dark of night, to the sea's edge, to the wild places at liminal times to make offerings, to hold ritual, to ask for healing for our people, to grieve the losses of everyday life as well as the tragic ones, to stay in grateful, reverent communion with the force that is the feminine and animates all life. We carry the direct genetic wisdom and heritage of the old world women who walked in this way. And therefore, somewhere in our bones, we know the call of this regular pilgrimage out past the village's edge, out into the dark wood, guided by nothing but our instinct and an owl's call on a cloud-covered night to bring us back home, to keep us awake, vital, and wise. Listen when I say, it is neither a fairy tale nor female flight of fancy, but historical fact 
that the first and still longest documented subject of human worship is Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth. Our people, yours and mine, called her by many names across millennia to honor and celebrate all of life's glorious, essential, generative and destructive phenomena. Ishtar, Venus, Astarte, she is the moon goddess for her graceful shape-shifting liminality. For far longer than we have lived under the tyranny and devastation of an extraterrestrial male god, we honored the mysterious and generous force of life itself, which, in our reverence and awe, embodied itself as female. The very impulse and imperative that is life was female. The creator from whom all blessings flow was female. As, my dears, are we. We are the heirs to this lineage, an expression of her. Let this wisdom stir you to your core, for it is your rightful and necessary inheritance. Here, in our essential form, before domestication and sequestration, we are tribal and joyful, fierce and unrelenting. We are conduits for and warriors in service of the ever-unfolding, vast and beautiful expression of life that is this earth and all its beings. Let these words mean something to you, for they are your first language. In our spirits and souls, we are still tribal and joyful, fierce and unrelenting. We are betrothed to each other and to the wild, knowing our most powerful and generative identity comes from the reflection of these two places alone and the relationships we have here. What we do not get taught, in fact, what we are specifically not told in every manner and at every level of our journey into our adult female, is that she who conducts herself in this way, putting her ear to the ground, to the inward, she who keeps her ear and her wisdom to the ground of the earth and to her sisters, who teaches herself how to listen to the true wisdom, this is the human who is most equipped to determine what gets done in the name of being human, to say how and when a thing gets done. She alone is equipped to speak for all her human people in the council of all people. For this knowledge she has fashioned herself around, this knowledge that is her life force, her breath and her blood, this knowledge that has fashioned her it is the knowledge, it is the wisdom that guides intelligent, respectful, and generative human conduct. Our return to this kind of knowing of our essential inheritance of earth wisdom is its own rite of passage, one whose outcome is anything but certain, one from which many of us do not ever emerge. 
even if we ever know to begin the journey of remembering in the first place. If you already remember this, if you never entirely fell victim to the sleep of deadly forgetting, then take a few breaths right here into the center of your physical body and locate the core of your wisdom. See its vibrancy, its vigor, its gentle pulsing in service of a world in which all life is sacred. Then notice its taproot, its umbilicus. Tug on it gently to remember to whom you owe this wisdom, this way, to whom you answer, from whom the generosity and the love so endlessly flow. We do not know how this will work. We do not know the details of what it will look like or what must happen. But part of this awakening is that we remember how to trust the unfolding of life that occurs when just the next thing is done. Our task here is to remember to honor the way we know and the way we work in deep communion with the force that animates all life. The very first thing we must do is come back into relationship with the wisdom and the knowing that is our inheritance. One step at a time, we must begin to see all the ways we have been domesticated, the wild wisdom silenced and denigrated. We must slowly, steadily begin the old practices, speak the old languages, while also, just as importantly, inventing the new ones that are expressions of our particular time and place. There is the most magnificent opportunity here, one that turns out to be an imperative of the most essential kind. If we lean in, right here, to this next thing, then the next thing after that, and then the next thing after that.
open. Mm-hmm.